Today's episode, sci-fi and fantasy author, Gene Doucette. Hello, I'm Chris Alvarez, and perhaps you can't tell by looking at me, but I am a nerd. I've been a nerd for many years, and I'm good at it. In this show, I'd like to give you tips on how to be the most successful and well-informed nerd that you can possibly be. I speak with interesting people about cool things. Please join us if you're so inclined. This is Full Contact Nerd Interviews, and welcome. I'm speaking with Gene Doucette, author of The Apocalypse 7, to be published or published by John Joseph Adams, slash Mariner Books, May 25th, 2021. Uh, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thanks for having me. So first, um, normally I ask, uh, how, how did you come up with the idea, you know, why did you write uh, this book? But one thing I'm curious about, you, um, you've taken a, an interesting uh, path to where you are as a writer. Um, you started out with four small indie four books published by small indie publisher then you went self-publishing and now you're with a a traditional publisher large traditional publisher Um, yeah it's it's been a it's been an interesting um roundabout way of getting here mm -hmm. um i uh i began um i mean we want to go all the way back i began with uh uh, writing a book that i got an agent for back in like 2003 Mm-hmm. Uh, that he didn't sell and in 2006 dumped me. And so I put it in a drawer for a while and then I found a publisher for it in like 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another publisher for it in 2011 when that publisher didn't work out. And it's been a, it's been a road. So mm-hmm. um, I began with small indie uh, with a few books and then I self-published some uh, novellas and they did much better than I financially than I was doing with the books that I had through the small indie. Mm. So I wrote a full length novel and self published it. And that was the spaceship next door mm-hmm. that did so well that I went and got back the rights for my other books, which was good timing because that publisher was also folding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I republished all of those myself. My Re-entry into traditional publishing came about because uh, somebody, John Joseph Adams, came knocking on my door asking about the reprint rights for the spaceship next door. Mm-hmm. So he uh, and they acquired the spaceship next door and reprinted it in 2018. While all that's been going on, I've still been self-publishing full novels and novellas. Mm-hmm. Then I decided to try publishing a new standalone novel with John, and I approached him with an idea for an apocalypse story. Mm-hmm. So this is the Apocalypse Seven is the first, uh, I would say, large publisher first edition opportunity that I've I've pursued mm-hmm. uh, that I've gotten so far. Okay, so and I'm just curious with this self publishing. Do you is it one of those things where you hire you know, you spend a fair amount of money on an editor and someone to take care of all those aspects and you just do the writing or do you? The only thing I cover myself is the, uh, or the, uh, that I pay for is, uh, the covers. Hmm. Uh, I have hired editors in the past. I have found that after the expense that for the most part, I didn't get any further than I would have by editing it myself. I'm a very clean writer. Hmm. Okay. As far as um, my my, I, there's going to be mistakes that'll slip in, and as soon as I say that, and someone who's listening to this, who's read one of my books, hears it, they're going to send me an email saying, uh, "But here on page 17, mm-hmm. so that's that'll happen." But for the most part, I, I edit myself for my self-published books. Hmm. Interesting. And uh, so let's talk about the Apocalypse Seven. Where did? Uh... Where did this idea come from? Why did you focus on on that story? There are a couple of things that led me there. One is that I'd never written an apocalypse story before, mm-hmm. um, and and that's that is usually a driving force for me, which is unfortunate because it's difficult to market myself when I keep jumping from one type to another ah. mm-hmm. of book. You know, uh, it's. Um, the best you can do is pigeonhole me in genres and say, well, he writes sci-fi and he also writes fantasy. Those, that's not entirely accurate either, but it's close. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I, 
so the first thought was I, it would be fun to write an apocalypse story. Mm. Uh, then I thought it would be funny. And this is how a lot of my stories begin. Wouldn't it be funny if, mm. wouldn't it be funny if uh, my main character or my characters woke up discovering that they had slept through the apocalypse? It started there and it sort of simmered for a while. Mm -hmm. That is, I wasn't in a position to write something new at the time. Uh, Spaceship Next Door had just been re-released and I was finishing up another book. And then I had another book after that that I also had to finish. Uh, so I think there were two books that were written and published before I started writing The Apocalypse 7. But by then... It was pretty firm in my head. I had, I had the idea of X number of survivors initially, mm-hmm. and I had a basic concept for how it could have happened that they slept through the apocalypse, and I had nothing else. I had maybe two characters already established, um, but with that and the idea, the idea, Robbie woke up and discovered he slept through the apocalypse, is when I. I sent an email to John and said, would you be interested in an apocalypse story if I brought one to you? Uh, and he said, yes. And so I started writing. So I was going to ask if you had considered make right. Cause you've done some novellas. I was wondering if you were thinking about writing it as a novella, but it sounds like it was going to be a novel from the start. It was always going to be a novel. I'm, I'm pretty good about gauging, um, what, uh, how big the story is going to end up having to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and how to get there for some reason. And I'm not sure how this works out, but my sci-fi books tend to be between 105 and 115,000 words. And my fantasy books tend to be between 90 and 102,000 hmm. words. And it just always works out that way. The novellas that I have written and published have actually been all part of the fantasy suite of books that I've been writing, mm-hmm. which were all based on or surrounding the same character who is an immortal man, and the narrator is an immortal man, is a first-person story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's present-day telling stories about his past. And I found a great way to tell some individual stand-up stories for him that, that lent themselves naturally to short stories and novellas. And that was him, instead of a flashback within a novel, it would be just the flashback by itself. And that's how I usually end up writing novellas. So I haven't written a new novella in a really long time. Okay. I've written a couple of novelettes, but I wrote them not knowing that that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to note, you, you pretty much answered it already, but, but it's interesting that often fantasies in general are longer and sci-fi is maybe a little more sleeker in general, you know, among in the industry. So, but I, I think you explain why your fantasy are, are novellas because it's kind of focused, hyper-focused stories or yeah. segments. Well, it's, it's also first person urban fantasy um, told from a, a perspective that is very, um, it, I think, I think that I love writing for Adam and I love having him in my head, but uh, it is, it's exhausting. Hmm. Um, and uh, I don't, think it i don't think it's it's easy because i'm not at all like adam i'm sure that a lot of my readers think i am because if they read just him and his first person they assume we're we're very similar um we're not he's much smarter than i am uh and he drinks more than i do um but uh it's it i have found that for me and i'm always the reader while i'm the writer mm-hmm. i'm the first reader of the books i don't use i don't use beta readers and I don't use editors. So most of the time when a book is published of mine, when it's self-published, the first person to read it other than me is the first person to buy it and read it. Hmm. Um, Interesting. So, but as my, as being the first reader, I know how tired I am of the story. At what point, if I'm getting bored of writing it, then I need to figure out a way to, to round it up and close it off. Mm-hmm. So I think that the sci-fi stories take longer and or are longer because they're third person stories and because the plots tend to be a little bit more convoluted and it takes me longer to find the ending. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about the apocalypse uh, seven. Um, you mentioned a little bit about the main characters and the conflict and setting. Can, can you elaborate a little more? 
Sure. Uh, I'm finding I, I, I started off with the idea of just two characters that I knew of and I started building them as I went. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, whenever I answer questions like these, I always talk about it from a building perspective, from my perspective of creating it mm-hmm. rather than from the reader's perspective. And I feel like I'm short shrifting some people mm-hmm. when I do that. But there's a reason I rather not write my own copy because I don't know what I only know how I got there. Mm-hmm. So that's how I'm answering these questions. Okay. How I got there is I, I had one character and I'm making the plot up as I go. And I thought, well, I can't have just one character go on for this long. You need somebody to talk to. So I created the next character. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be interesting if she was blind. And so the second character is a blind person mm-hmm. who has lost her dog because it's the apocalypse and they're the only survivors. And that included her dog not making it. Hmm. And uh, I needed a place for them to find themselves. So I chose, I chose this to happen in Cambridge because I live in Cambridge. Okay. And I set the whole thing in Cambridge in the Boston area because that was easier for me because I walk around here all the time. It's easy for me to describe. And so it was just a a quicker pickup. Hmm. At some point I decided on, modeling the characters loosely after uh dungeons and dragons classes Mm, okay just just as a shorthand to give me uh, a way to create a band of people with complementary skills for survival Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) Uh, once i figured out so what is the reader going to get the reader is going to get a situation where you've got characters who have no special survival skills for the most part. Hmm. Uh, they're not preppers. They're not the people that you spe- expect to see in a, in a, for example, a zombie apocalypse story or whatever. The ones who have guns and know how to use them, know how to ride horses, know how to do all of these things. At least at the very beginning, I have the, the initial four survivors are two college students, a coder, and uh, a teenage girl who can pick locks. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, they don't know where anybody else is. There's no food, there's no electricity and the plant life and animal life has exploded. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there, they don't, they don't, and they don't know what's going on. So their initial take on this is just literally surviving from moment to moment, mm-hmm. which meant for me taking a lot of the things that I take for granted. And I think everyone takes for granted <laughs> And, and pulling them away and seeing what you're left with and figuring out how to survive from there. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking with Gene Desette, author of The Apocalypse 7. You can find more information about his work by searching for his name, Gene Doucette, on most social media sites. If you like this episode so far, please like it and consider subscribing. All of my links can be heard at the end of this episode. Now back to the podcast. And uh, I don't want to have any spoilers given away, but, um, is it, is it more a, a person against nature kind of story or there, is there a conflict with, with some evil, evil being or some, you know, malicious? There is, yeah, it's, uh, there is a, uh, I have said this in a couple of places, so I guess this isn't a huge spoiler, but there is an alien component to it. Hmm. Uh, I, uh, I, I, it is also a first contact story in its way. Hmm. How those aliens are involved, I, I'm not going to say. Okay. But the aspects of uh, there, it begins with just a man against nature sort of survival thing, and also a, it's it's a big mystery box sort of book. Okay. Uh, so there is a big reveal. I I. I, I I do this. I read all of my reviews, and I should not because it's never a good idea. But I read one review today that said specifically the surprise. The surprise reveal on page two thirty six was really obvious to me from the beginning, but the surprise at the ending came out of nowhere, and I was very impressed. So I'm like, that's fine. I'm happy with that. There's a reason the the, the surprise on page two thirty six was revealed on page two thirty six. It's because I figured you guys would have figured that out by now, mm-hmm. anyway. So I may as well show my hand there, and hold back this other one. Yeah. <laughs> so um, again, this might lead to some spoilers, but but you can tell me was how much research did you do for the book? You mentioned you know like 
taking away the things we take for granted? Did you go, did you have to research anything? I did. Uh, I, I didn't do as much research as I probably could have or should have maybe, but I did more than I have done in the past. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did some research on climate change. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, well, that's not fair. I was reading a book on climate change already. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was listening to it on my way to work, uh, which, uh, which is not the thing to listen to when you're driving a gas powered car, by the way, <laughs> I kept thinking I, I'm, I should work from home. I should work from home. I should work from home. This is not right. Mm-hmm. But I was reading that and that gave me some things that I could use okay. uh, in the story. The, uh, I, I spoke to, I spoke to a, a ranger at, at the Blue Hills uh, Conservation uh, which was a coincidental event. Uh, I was doing something for I, for my day job. We had like one of those, uh, let's go out and instead of work in the office for the day, we'll volunteer our time mm-hmm. to go clean up something in a way that the company can take credit for. So I went out and did that. And I there was a ranger out there and I said, let me give you a hypothetical. Uh-huh. And I gave her the most probably absurd hypothetical she has ever heard in her life. And I said, tell me what you would expect to see. And she gave me tips on um, how the area that I was in, that they would be in in Cambridge is very uh, monoculture because of lawns and Mm. that all of that would change, that the deer population would be overrun, uh, that uh, they would, that population might even collapse because they might eat their way into starvation because there aren't nearly enough predators to compensate for that. Mm-hmm. But then the concept of the question of predation came up. Uh, somebody else I spoke to mentioned the wild pigs uh, that ran rampant after the nuclear uh, accident, mm-hmm. uh, Fukushima. Okay. I think. And, and that it, I did some research on that and learned that it takes only a month for a domestic, for a, a pig on a farm to become a wild boar. Wow. If left to their own, uh, yeah, uh, which was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I reached out to a friend on Facebook who is also an astronomer mm-hmm. and asked some very direct questions about how would you tell by looking at the sky where and when you were mm-hmm. and could you, and what would be the indicators for that. And he gave me some help with that too. Mm-hmm. And I researched some guns. Because one of my characters, out of the seven, one of them does have a, a, a bunch of guns. Mm-hmm. And John, in his edit, suggested that I name the guns. because he said, he said, look, I don't know anything about guns, and I don't think you do either, but one of us should put <laughs> the brand names of some of these guns in because the character will know them, mm-hmm. which is a valid point. Yeah. I also had to figure out how to uh, start a car with a dead battery and a uh, portable generator. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. I'm going to for that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you, so you don't have to mention where, but did you walk the spots in Cambridge that you, you put elements of the story? Oh, absolutely. I do it all the time. That's why I okay. put them in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, a lot of it takes place it, uh, along the Charles River, mm-hmm. uh, and there's parts of uh, Mass Ave in Cambridge near MIT, parts uh, of uh, near the the public library in Cambridge, and Newbury Street and Boston Commons and Downtown Crossing are all part of it. And I've I could walk that all in one day from where I'm sitting right now. Okay. Okay, and those are good spots for if you are in an apocalypse or end of civilization. They they probably have good good resources and tools um, to utilize if you need to learn stuff. Everything except guns. We don't sell guns in downtown Boston and Cambridge, so that was a, a notable problem for my characters. Okay, okay. Um, so Lots t- of bikes, though. <laughs> a lot of bikes. Okay, okay. Yeah. That, well. I guess without, if you have weeds all over the place, you don't have an, as much pavement as you need, unless you have dirt bikes or, um, well, one thing that I, I've, I've thought of every time I've watched like your average zombie and there are no zombies in the book, but your average zombie apocalypse story mm-hmm. is that no one ever gets on a bike and bikes away. <laughs> they all run or they try to start a car. They never just get on a. F- 
fucking bike. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there. It's easy to use. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and zombies aren't that fast. Well, it depends on the <laughs> zombies. <laughs> I guess some are fast. Um. So what are uh, what are some of the uh, the media that that inspire your work? And that could be you know books, movies, TV shows, game or uh, music, games. Well, aside from the Dungeons and Dragons drop in, and I, I actually haven't played that since I was well in, since the '80s, so that puts me in high school. Yeah. Uh, and now you know how old I am. Uh, the um, I had this question before, and it's hard to answer because I don't consume a lot of apocalypse stories. Hmm. I think that my influences have been either books that I read a really long time ago, or TV shows uh, like. I suppose The Walking Dead, although I, I dropped out of that really fast. Hmm. Uh, or um, uh, I think that I think that the biggest influence literary-wise is probably Lucifer's Hammer, hmm. uh, believe it or not, which is a really, really, really old sci-fi book. But hmm. I read it when I was a kid, and a lot of what I create now is probably still the result of the reader I was when I was uh, when I was when I was a kid. Hmm. Okay. including sense of humor, which is probably attributable to Douglas Adams as much as anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything, um, just thinking about your science fiction work, is there anything, any part of science that you really enjoy reading the most of? Mm. And maybe you've written about as well. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question because half of my reading is, is nonfiction rather than fiction. And I really enjoy, I enjoy the theoretical physics, uh, work um, having to do with quantum theory mm -hmm. uh, very much. Uh, the um, Anytime I see a book with a, a premise that I, I like a lot, just in general, I'll, I'll snap it up. I think I've read more books on quantum theory than any of the others, but there's there have been books on the history of uh, the history of uh, the, the, the number zero. Uh, mm -hmm. There's uh, I, I have found that books that are a combination of science and history are really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I could go on a long list and anything. I, I think I read everything by Carl Sagan at one point or another. Yeah, okay. So for this book, what would you say is the aesthetic um, that it has? What, what, if it has a, a soundtrack, a musical soundtrack, what, what would it be? <laughs> what sort of feel would it have? Oh God, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, the first name that popped into my head as soon as you said that is My Chemical Romance, hmm. and I'm not sure why that is. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, I think it would be a combination, and, and maybe a lot of Radiohead. Oh, uh, so there's a combination for you. Hmm. Uh, my my personal musical tastes run to the run in that direction. Aesthetically speaking, it's, I mean, it's a funny book, it, which is weird to say about an apocalypse story. Mm. I, I, I consciously set out to write a story about seven people who basically got along mm -hmm. and that they're, and it's most, most apocalypse stories are about privation. Yes. But they're also about the conflict that results from privation. Mm -hmm. uh, you have very, you develop tribes and, uh, there is only X amount of food, and so we're going to kill anybody who is not part of our tribe mm -hmm. in order to stay, to keep this food. And hmm. you have to, I, I think you kind of have to do that with a, an apocalypse story that has an, a large enough total number of survivors. Mm -hmm. And so I cheated by saying, I've only got seven survivors left. It's literally them against everyone else. They have no choice but to become their own tribe and band together mm -hmm. but i also didn't want them to i didn't want that to be difficult for them okay so if you're talking about an aesthetic i guess cozy apocalypse would be the aesthetic yeah. interesting um, so to that sense i would gravitate towards a soundtrack if you will of something that's uh fast-paced and slightly upbeat if not a little um, dramatic and dark at times, which mm -hmm. is why I mentioned those two. Okay. Uh, I can, I can already see a chase sequence through, uh, <laughs> with, 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 uh, uh, 
with a MCR drum beat going on. Okay. Uh, yeah, that feel that seems like a nice change of pace from your usual apocalypse um, story. Like you say, yeah, it's there's a lot of intertribal conflict or interpersonal conflict in that regard. But uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, let me turn to uh, how, how you do your writing, and and you did mention that you you said you're a clean writer and and you can do your own editing fairly well. Um, is there anything out of the ordinary you do as a writer? Uh, in your mind. I don't- I, in my mind, uh, I probably start off with less than other people will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, I, the, I didn't think of the big surprise at the end of the Apocalypse 7 until I was a third of the way through the book myself. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do tend to, and it's, it's kind of a high wire act, I tend to just pick a, I'll pick a character or two and I'll pick a basic premise and then I'll just run with it. If you look at other, like the spaceship next door, uh, I, the idea that I had for the spaceship next door was what if a spaceship lands in a small town and nothing else happens? Nobody gets out. Nobody says anything. Yeah. It just sits there in a field <laughs> for three years. Yeah. Okay. And so I cre- I knew the town already because I had created a town for a different project that I never finished. And so I had the town in mind. Mm-hmm. And so I created the main character and I created the concept and I ran with it. And I didn't know where it was going to lead until I got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, um, the entire fantasy series, the Immortal series, began with the idea of wouldn't it be fun to have a guy who's voice is essentially mine in the sense that I've been writing blog posts for a while. So it would be fun to have a blogger, but he happens to be immortal. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so I started writing it from that perspective and I saw where that took me and that took me through six books and six novellas. So I guess I, I guess that's unusual probably. Mm-hmm. I think that I, I do know the ending before I get there because I have to know uh, how to get there, mm-hmm. but I usually don't know that ending until I've uh, I've started working my way in that direction. So, how often have you sort of let the characters or events, you know, kind of lead you along? How often do you have to go back and adjust that? Once you hit a point that you're satisfied with, how often do you go back and say, "Okay, I have to fix this or that, clean it up, take this That's out, right. add something." That took a lot of work to learn how to do, to be honest, because uh, one of the things that one of the downsides, I think, in in writing like this is that once I've written it down, that story that becomes canonical Hmm. to the story that it is always going to be true now that I've written it down. I don't outline or plot anything ahead of time. And the reason is that as soon as I outline or plot it ahead of time, it's canonical and I can't change it. So instead, what I'll do is I'll write as I go along and I know I'm not the only one, a lot of people do this, but I write as I go along. Uh, but for me specifically by doing that, I have very difficult for me to throw anything away. So usually in the first draft, by the time I'm done with the first draft, the story is pretty much done Mm -hmm. and everything that's left is the, is the cleaning up. Uh, there's a lot of cleaning up and toning to do, but the essential, the first draft is, is my version of the outline. Mm-hmm. So I will go back and change things, but I'll go back and change things because I couldn't keep writing for some reason. Like I'll get stuck. I'll end up in a corner somewhere and I'm like, I don't I have no idea where to go from here. Yeah. And the solution is usually to go back a little bit, find out where I went wrong, delete everything after that and start from that point again. Hmm. Okay. Do you feel like you, um, you do a lot of writing in your head before you actually put, put it down in some permanent format? Yes. Unfortunately I do that just before I'm trying, I fall asleep or uh, <laughs> when I wake up in the middle of the night. So I have a lot of sleepless nights, but yes, most of my solutions to plot development come in the middle of the night uh, when I, when I should be attempting to sleep. Hmm. And, and do you, do you have a little notebook or do you use audio recorder or something? Nope. Maybe? Nope. It's just, it's just, I might have to do that eventually as I get older, but it's just stays in my head. Uh, and it's, it it works out well sometimes. Like by the time it's time for me to write again, I'm, I'm bursting Mm -hmm. because I know exactly what I'm going to write next. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and 
in those situations, when that happens, I can just plow through like five or 10,000 words in a day or two. Mm. When I only know a little bit of it, I can maybe get through a thousand or 2000 words. If I'm sitting down blank, mm. like I haven't been working through this at all and I don't know what's next, it takes a lot longer to work through and I write much more slowly. Mm. I'm speaking with Gene Desette, author of The Apocalypse 7. You can find more information about his work by searching for his name, Gene Doucette, on most social media sites. If you like this episode so far, please like it and consider subscribing. All of my links can be heard at the end of this episode. Now back to the podcast. So um, you've been writing for a while now. Can you pinpoint or identify any elements that have changed from them then till now, as far as how you write? I think that my approach to writing hasn't changed, but I've gotten a lot better at it. Mm -hmm. I, what If nothing else, I've learned that the things that, because you, you, you've been writing for long enough, you tried the other things mm -hmm. and found that they don't work. You, you learn as you go when you're on the wrong track or when something doesn't seem right and you get better at writing, uh, writing good stuff right off the bat. So it, that is just a matter of, you know, you, once you've hit, like, I don't know, when you do stand up, you're supposedly, uh, you're not even considered an amateur until you've done like a hundred shows. Yeah. Uh, it, I think that you're not really really good writer until you've hit a certain word count. And I don't know what that is. Maybe a half million or a million. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that I, you know, I learned that I can't outline. I learned that in order to keep myself interested in the story, I can't have the full story already in front of me. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that I've figured out. And, and I also write screenplays and I had to learn a whole different set of things that I knew to be true for me when writing screenplays. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're similar, but, because I, I have to think in, in, I have to think more visually. I, I have to write those differently. So, these are all things that I had to learn just by doing. Mm -hmm. What? Uh, who's been of, of of everything you've written that's been published? Uh, who's who's been your favorite character to write? Uh, I should say I should say Adam because I, I wrote him so often, and when I'm writing him, he's my favorite character. Mm -hmm. But I loved creating Annie Collins for the spaceship next door. Mm -hmm. I, and uh, I, I'm not sure where she came from. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure I'm 100% responsible for her. I think that she created herself to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. uh, she made that book very easy to write, and I don't know how she did that, but I loved writing for her. Hmm. Do you uh, Have you ever... Um sort of written a character that represents you or, or how you think, or do you, or do you, is everyone just kind of their own character? Uh, no, it's funny. I think if you ask my wife, you get a different answer. <laughs> uh, I don't, I think that I'm in every character, obviously mm -hmm. to a certain extent, right. but they are, they're usually better than I am at, at certain things. So I don't think that I've ever had a character that I could a hundred percent say, this is just a version of me. And, and I think that's good. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that that would, um, I think that wouldn't result in uh, a very good read. Mm -hmm. uh, now there have been characters who explored things that I was also exploring okay. uh, that captured moods that I was in at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just had a, a short story, a novelette called Hypnopompic Circumstance, published by Lightspeed Magazine this month. Mm -hmm. And it's about a guy who is going through a real, like, personal career crisis. And I'm not at that point, but I've certainly had those thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he is, he's like, he's having a, a, a slow meltdown that is complicated by the fact that uh he is apparently being visited by an alien every night hmm. before he falls asleep and uh <laughs> but some of the some of the observations that he has made about his career and about the things he should be doing that should be making him happy and aren't are things that i have thought of but they don't i wouldn't say that i am him or he is me 
Mm-hmm. He is a reflection of an aspect of me in a certain mood. Which uh, which of your characters have been the least like you in, in any way, and, and were they difficult to write or were perhaps easy to write? And I know there's probably a lot of characters <laughs> to consider. A lot of characters there. So, God. Uh, you know, you know I, I can imagine a character that you really wanted to write, but you're like, wow, this you are... You are a difficult character for me to get my arms around, but but I'm going to do this. (laughs) I have written from the perspective of evil characters before, Mm. and I wouldn't say that they were hard to write for, but I had to, I didn't feel good about myself after having written them. Hmm. Like you get into a mood, Hmm. Uh, but um, not... Now, now that I'm thinking about it, not from any of the ones that I've actually. So there's a, a there's a thriller that I wrote that I turned into a screenplay rather than publish as a novel mm-hmm. called Charlatan, and then the novel version uh, that I didn't end up publishing, I wrote from the perspective of a serial killer, and that was not fun. I, 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 I am pretty sure. I could write a horror story. I know I could write a horror story. I, I use a lot of the same tricks that Stephen King uses, for example, and a lot of other horror writers use. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have not yet been able to coax myself into going dark enough mm-hmm. to really do it. Mm-hmm. Because I find that I like my characters too much to do things that terrible to them. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. I think that I have had characters that I had trouble accessing, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the, I had trouble accessing Robbie in the Apocalypse 7, mm-hmm. and he's the main character. Well, how, how, would, you, go ahead. how would you go about um, trying to understand such a character better? Would you try to read things that seem similar to the character or watch something? Or uh, it's, it's more like a, um, I, I do everything from a, a a visualization sort of exercise almost like I, I literally say, put yourself completely in this person's perspective position, like for the serial killer, what exactly do you have to, what kind of person do you have to be? How selfish of a human being do you have to be to view other people as um, goals Mm -hmm. instead of as human beings? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, 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 and I can, you know, I can do that. Um, but for, uh, for another perspective, like for example, one of, again, all of the, all seven of the characters in the apocalypse seven are point of view characters, mm-hmm. which means that I had to write from all of their points of view at one point or another. And, okay. um, Robbie is a black kid from Connecticut. Uh, Ture is a, uh, a Mexican American coder mm-hmm. from Jamaica plain. Mm-hmm. Um, Carol is a blind Asian woman. And I'm not blind. And I had to imagine what it would be like to be blind Mm -hmm. in this scenario. And hopefully I didn't insult anybody who is blind by doing so. Mm -hmm. But that is a perspective that you just, you know, try to put yourself in that position. Mm -hmm. I have a, 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 I have a creature named Paul in the story and I'm, not particularly religious, but I can be if I decide that my character is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I, I trying to, it, it's not enough just to, to write from their perspective. You have to respect their perspective mm-hmm. and understand that it's a valid perspective, at least from their point of view, mm-hmm. uh, not to belittle it or make fun of it or to reduce it in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that a lot of writers get into trouble by um, reducing the character that they're writing to their external understanding of, of who they what they must be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a guy. I, I create I create women characters. I'm not a woman. Mm-hmm. A lot of male writers get in a lot of trouble trying to write about or from the female perspective, and I can understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the challenge is writing it from that perspective while respecting that perspective mm-hmm. in a way that 
is hard to do because you're not that kind of person. So hmm. it's probably a, twice as long of an answer as you were asking. No, no, it was good. Um, but yeah, it's a reminder that I think to be successful as a writer, you have to be able to observe people and understand people and, and, um, just be well-rounded in your knowledge of, of the human experience, I guess. Yeah. Empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to be at least as empathetic as, as, as possible for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, and to truly appreciate, um, alternative perspectives. I am very much the person in the back of the room watching everybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, uh, I spend much more time doing that than engaging with other people um, because I, I tend to be, I tend to pull in. So uh, I, I, that's, that's how I spend my free time is watching other people. Mm -hmm. Have you, uh, you mentioned um, some of the work you do. Um, is there, is there any non-writing work you've done that's influenced how or what you write? And you already touched a little on that. Uh, and that could writing. be anything, you know, back to when you were young. Right. Or when you were younger. I don't <laughs> I don't want to say it that way because that hurts when me you were too. Young, <laughs> when you were just a little boy. Uh, well, my day job used to involve sales. Mm -hmm. And sales were certainly about trying to engage people um, in a way that on their level. Mm -hmm. uh, so because sales is fundamentally about, I want to sell you this thing mm -hmm. because I benefit from selling you this thing, mm -hmm. but I don't want to sell you something you don't want. So I have to know you well enough or understand you well enough to know how to make you want this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I did that for a little while and I, I was good at it. I'm not hundred percent sure I enjoyed it as mm -hmm. much as, uh, as somebody who maybe does that for a living, but or a full time all the time, but mm -hmm. I, I knew how to do it. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly have always just been an observer, so I don't know if there was. Uh, I can't. I'm not sure I can connect that to a, a role or position of some kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems interesting. You, you said you were an observer, and at sale with sales, at some point you have to stop being the observer and, and sort of be the participant and. So, so that's our interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the definition of an outgoing introvert, hmm. uh, in order to engage with people in that situation, I had to put on an act. I had to become the person who would engage with other people rather than just be that person because that wasn't who I was naturally. And it was exhausting. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, but I am, I'm the person who. Like I said, if, if we were at a party of, of, of like 10 or 15 people, I wouldn't talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. If 10 or 15 people had come to listen to me talk and I was on a stage, no problem. Mm -hmm. I'd be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just imagining your sales days with your supervisor. Did, did your supervisor have to say, hey, hey, get out there and start selling? Stop. Stop yeah, looking kinda, at it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it was a pattern, you know, it's just oh, time to go out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You already okay. So you mentioned you're a clean writer. So I guess there wasn't a lot you had to take out of the book, or well, actually, I guess you in this instance, uh, you probably work closely with an editor. Mm -hmm. I did. Uh, John uh, didn't uh, offer much in the way of because it wasn't needed uh, uh, substantive edits mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that you know move this around here, cut this scene build up this character, that sort of stuff, the, the stuff that you hear about, like in, uh, oh, I don't know, the, the, the famous stories of like the 1950s New York editors, like the one who took and took the little story in, in, in Harper Lee's uh, manuscript and said, make this the story instead. I've never had that hmm. edit. Uh, when I write, very little gets cut and thrown away. Hmm. I don't have scenes that never made it into the book. Everything okay. that's in the book is everything I wrote for the book. Hmm. Uh, what I did get for from John uh, was a lot of good advice about how to tighten it up. Uh, the uh, there was like the first chapter drag a little bit, so we did in that case remove about three pages worth of, of stuff that was that was really when I first wrote it just me writing because like I don't know what's happening next, so I'm just going to keep describing things in it. 
that's what, so we took that, some of that out. It was his suggestion to, and this is interesting. I, I had not established ethnicities for the characters mm. uh, because I don't usually do that in my stories. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that I'm not writing about them being of a specific, it's not, it's not a, a significant portion of their character. And it's hard for me to insert it in there when I, I just don't think about that. Mm-hmm. I, I just think about them as characters. Mm-hmm. And he made a very good point, which is that if you don't say, everyone is going to assume they're all white characters. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I could see and, that. Yeah. And, and uh, he made a good point. And, so the decision to insert ethnicity uh, came during the edits for the, for the book. And, you know, we added some details. Uh, I think Carol was the only one who came in as uh, an Asian American uh, hmm. from the outset. Every other character I didn't really say. Uh, so um, the change of, so uh, there's a character named Ananda or Ananda who was uh, uh, Indian, and she was originally Amanda. So I changed her name, and I changed her uh, her ethnicity, and I changed her origin a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but very little about, very little other than that changed in the book from that alteration. Mm-hmm. What else? Uh, the decision to, so the chapters, there are still numbered chapters, you know, one through, I think, 18, I forget how many chapters it has, which is probably terrible. Hmm. Uh, but each section is a, PO, a point of view section, and so we give each section the name of the character whose POV we're in. Mm-hmm. So chapter one, it says chapter one, and then one, and then Robbie. And Robbie is uh, Robbie, and then two, and then three, and then four, and then f- then it's Ture, one. And we're still in chapter one, but Ture has now a section on his own. Yeah, okay. uh, so that was a good call on his part also. Is there a, I wouldn't imagine there is, but, but since you've been doing it, is there any difference in writing, not how you write, um, but what you write uh, for traditional versus self-published? Like, you know, are you dealing with different readers, you know, and do you give them different kinds of stories? That's an interesting question. Uh, and the reason it is, is because uh, I think the answer is yes, I am dealing with different readers, but I didn't learn that until after the spaceship next door was reprinted. Hmm. Uh, the, the, um, the thing that surprised me when the spaceship next door was re-released was that very few readers followed it to my self-published books. Uh, which I thought was interesting. Now, the people who read my self-published books will read anything I write, and they'll go find the traditionally published books, but it doesn't necessarily go the other way. Okay. Uh, And I'm not sure why that is, uh, except, well, obviously there's the bookstore metric. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's difficult for me to get self-published books into bookstores. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. It's more challenging. If you're in a bookstore and you see the Apocalypse 7 and you go, what else can I get by him? There will probably be a copy of The Spaceship Next Door on the shelf next to it because that's also been put out by Houghton Mifflin. Mm -hmm. Any of my other books, it would be a more difficult pull to get in a bookstore. So that might be one reason they're not following me as easily. Mm -hmm. But to the question of writing differently, when I wrote... Um, the Apocalypse 7, I consciously chose to target the same types of readers that liked the spaceship next door, and which is a, a hard lift, I think, because they're different, they're different genres, they're different subgenres. Mm-hmm. Uh, spaceship Next Door is much more of a young adult book. It, I, it has been called a young adult book because what the the, one of the main characters is a 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think of it as young adult, and we didn't market it that way. We said that it can translate to young adult. But essentially, to make it young adult, I took out all the swear words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but young adult books don't usually have point of view other than young adult narratives, narrators uh, or, mm. or characters. 
Uh, and I do. I have uh, several adult characters and one 16-year-old character who's a point-of-view character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't really think of The Spaceship Next Door as a young adult book. But tonally, I think that it could be considered that. And I wrote Spaceship Next I wrote The Apocalypse 7 with the same sort of mentality, the sort of, sort of tone in mind. And I don't really know how to describe that tone. But I think that there's merit in the argument that when you find adults who are reading a lot of young adult, what they're reading, what they're interested in is the perspective mm-hmm. of of the narrator's voice, which is, uh, I don't want to say liberal and conservative, but there is a quality of that. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of hard sci-fi is much more um, Ayn Randian. Mm-hmm. Uh Sometimes, mm-hmm. but there's a there's a there's a certain lighter touch to it. Like in in both books, bad things happen, mm-hmm. and I could describe those bad things in incredibly horrific detail. Mm-hmm. I certainly have done that in other books. I did it in the Fixer series, but describing what happened without describing like bone jutting out of a leg or, mm-hmm. or whatever uh, is just a component in saying, okay, we're making this gentle enough mm-hmm. so that a wider group of people will like it and be able to read it without being upset or offended or, or being told that they can't read it by an, an, an adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so would you say you figured out, uh, that that's the wrong way to phrase it. Um, do, do you feel like there's a certain demographic that that will tend to read self-published more than traditional, or that's more willing to read self-published versus traditional? Uh, I think that a lot of people who are okay with reading self-published books don't know they're reading self-published books 100 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do think that self-published people who read self-published books are more likely to read uh, ebooks. Okay. Uh, than than not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know. I, I if if I knew how to pin down what that demographic was, I'd probably be wealthier than I am. <laughs> uh, I I don't think it's very clean uh, anymore. Mm-hmm. I I I know that in like five or six years ago, the books that I write and self publish would have been unusual for not following a formula closely and uh, or having been well edited a few spelling errors a uh, few fewer tropes maybe uh, okay. I don't think that's necessarily true now but I think that what's sold well for uh, self-published books for a really long time is very tropey books that it was easy for people who consumed a lot of books to pick one up and read quickly because it followed the same beats that they were familiar with. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Now a bit of a whimsical question here. Uh, when you were younger, was there a power technology or world that you yearned to be part of or to have? Oh Lord. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. When I was younger, I read a lot of comic books, so you can pick a superpower, I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, uh, what, what sort of D and D characters did you play? Was I was it? usually, I was usually an elf, um, ranger of some sort. Okay. Uh, either that or a, a magic user. Okay. Uh, I think that, uh, uh, my role playing, my role playing history is it, when I was younger, was actually spent less on D and D and I was a dungeon master for a while, but when I was very young, so it was more about telling stories than, than, uh, than playing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually the, the, the story about that is I was, I was a dungeon master and I was telling stories and the characters, the people that were playing with me were like, how come you're never rolling dice? <laughs> I was just making it up as I went, okay, you're in trouble. And, you know, I wasn't <laughs> like, why aren't you rolling the dice at all? I'm like, oh yeah, right. I should do that. I, I, but I was, and I was just spinning the yarn, yeah. um, there was a game that I played called Boot Hill, which mm-hmm. was a, 
a Western version of role playing game. Oh yeah, and I remember playing that quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Yeah, I played Boot Hill. I've ran Boot Hill campaigns, so people die pretty quickly in that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no mercy. <laughs> I, my favorite part about that actually is that bravery. If you take if your score is too high in bravery, it's foolhardiness. Mm-hmm. And you start getting in trouble for that instead of like being super brave. Yeah, that was an element that wasn't in Dungeons and Dragons that I recalled. No, no, huh? That's funny. Okay, well, with this book, uh, you mentioned with Apocalypse Seven, you, you mentioned a little bit about publishing and writing it, but were there any other difficulties in getting it finished or published? You'd think there would have been more difficulties actually, because so I wrote it. I wrote it in the span of about six weeks in 2019 from like April to May. Mm-hmm. I sent it to John at the beginning of June. John read it by the end of June and said, uh, I like it very much. We're going to get you an offer. That didn't end up happening till August or September of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we signed the contract around Thanksgiving of mm-hmm. 2019. Now, if you're, if you like me have been alive for the last two years, December was when we first started hearing about this Mm -hmm. thing called COVID. Mm -hmm. So from that point on, we were all in pandemic mode. We edited it while during the pandemic. The publisher didn't send out advanced review copy print editions because there was a concern about sending out paper when it wasn't necessary and putting people in to print it when it wasn't necessary, when you could just send out electronic stuff. Hmm. Getting the cover design done was a little bit more of a a hard pull. Setting up all of the um, promotional stuff was harder because all the, I mean, all of my promotions are still remote, Mm -hmm. even though we're coming out of it because we couldn't do a lot of the things. On top of which, Mm -hmm. at the same time, uh, John's publishing line was discontinued. Hmm. I ended up being the last book he signed to the to his imprint. Interesting. Okay. He's still the books are still coming out, but the imprint is no longer active. Huh. Okay. And on top of that, the Houghton Mifflin books er, uh, trade books arm that the book is being released by was sold to HarperCollins hmm. at the beginning of May. Okay. A month before this book came out. So the remarkable thing is that it came out <laughs> on schedule when it was supposed to, after we've all survived a pandemic, after the, the imprint was closed and the publisher was sold. Hmm. We're still here and we're still selling the book. So, you know, hmm. that's a big win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds like the things that could be done during a pandemic were the things that were being finished up but still yeah over, overall that's just yeah it's nice how it worked out it was nice that we were able to do as many things as we were able to do remotely right it would have been great if the we would had a, an opportunity to set up a um, publicity that included in-person visits rather than remote stuff and i honestly don't know what would have come out of the publicity arm had there not been a pandemic i really don't know uh, I mean, we're doing great, mm-hmm. and I'm very happy. I, so I, I have no complaints. I just, uh, I, I just don't know what would have been. Mm-hmm. Things were different. Hmm. I mean, at least bookstores are still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're still, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They survived. They got through it. What, uh, what's your next writing project? I have uh, too many projects. Uh, the uh, so. In that same period of time, I started a new sci- a new hard sci-fi series called Ten- Tandem Star mm-hmm. uh, that uh, I'm self-publishing. Uh, and this is another answer to your question, what's the difference between self-publishing and publishing for a publisher? I'm throwing uh, standalone books to the publisher and I'm writing series books for myself because series mm-hmm. books tend to work better self-published, I think. And it's harder to sell a series book to a publisher than it is a standalone. Uh, So I've planned a series of books called Tandem Star. It's hard sci-fi, which I've never really written before. And it's going to end up being about five books. 
I published the first two between the time that I signed that contract and the and today when the book uh, came out. Mm-hmm. Um, the third book is due out uh, in uh, October of this year, and I'm not done writing it yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm about 60 percent of the way through it. I have to finish that. So that's the first thing on my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is Amazon is rolling out a new product called Vela mm-hmm. in the next few months, and it is uh, for serials. Uh, so serial storytelling, you know, small mm-hmm. chunks of, of of story dropped periodically, and they haven't put it out yet, and it's only been announced. The publicity has been announced and everything, and they've told the writers who are in their in their environment already about it. And so I've been writing a serial called Invasion Nation. I've got about seven episodes written down so far, and I'm trying to get up to about 20 before Vela launches, and I don't know when it's going to launch. Uh, so that's the second thing. The third thing is I'm, I've got another standalone sci-fi idea that is just a kernel right now. I don't quite have enough to start writing and I haven't finished that tandem star book yet. So I can't start writing yet, but I, I I have a premise and I have a setting and I have uh, a time that it's going to occur. And I haven't decided yet whether it's going to be tonally similar to the first two books to spaceship and to the apocalypse seven, or if it's going to be darker because the premise absolutely lends itself to horror. And like I said, I've never written a horror. Uh, I kind of tempted to try it, but I'm not sure if I can pull it off or not just by going that direction. Mm-hmm. Finally, I have some screenplay stuff going on that I really can't talk about in detail. I have a finished screenplay that I wrote at the beginning of this year that is um, going to start going out um, to places and uh, people, and I can't give details on it. <laughs> No, I yeah. uh, but yeah. that's that's also coming along is uh, vela is that going to be like s- 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 ebooks or like narrated or what's the format it's uh it's similar to ebooks uh, it, it's um i'm not i don't think it's going to be read, read on the kindle i think it's supposed to be read on the phone okay. uh, for I, I think that what they're aiming for is the um the serial, the serial reader marketplace, which is quite large, but uh, mostly devoted to fan fiction right now. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so where can people find you online? Do you have social media, website? Yeah, I'm pretty much everywhere. Okay. Whether I, I, I'm, I'm good at it or not is a different question. <laughs> I, uh, I have a Facebook page called Author Gene Doucette. I'm on there personally also. Uh, I am on Twitter uh, it's all under my name, Gene Doucette. I'm on uh, Instagram. Uh, I I have a Patreon site, uh, and I'm on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tumblr is probably the only thing that I don't do a lot of promotional, like look at me, I'm a writer stuff. I mostly just do it to reblog stuff I found funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere. And I'll spell your name just for listeners and viewers, it's Gene is G-E-N-E and Doucette is D-O-U-C-E-T-T-E. Okay. That's all the questions I have. Do you have any parting thoughts or words? Uh, go buy the Apocalypse 7. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a, it's, a, it's a funny apocalypse story, and mm-hmm. I think you'll enjoy it having just come out of our own sort of personal apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that actually reading it after having spent a year – Reading it, reading it, with the from the perspective of a bunch of people who are wandering around, and there's literally no life other than them there. Yeah. After spending a year going out on walks where it felt like that, yeah, should be something they can connect with. Yeah, yeah, I definitely had the, plenty of those feelings over the past year. Like, where is everyone? Are yep. they really in yep. those apartments or not? <laughs> yep, I I am in the city and I can hear birds and I don't understand what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder, I think the birds were probably confused as well. Yeah, I'm sure they were. I'm sure there was a population boom. <laughs> Actually, there was one article I read. Someone asked, um, wow, the birds seem to be a lot louder during COVID. And, and the answer was, no, there's just a lot less sound. That's their normal volume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was actually hoping for a lot less like ambient light so I could see more stars at night. But I guess I can't have total power failure to go along with my uh, pandemic. <laughs> 
Um, all right. Well, uh, thank you very much for speaking with me. Thank you. This is fun. Yeah, it was. It was. In the next episode, I speak with Brian Catling about his historical fantasy novel, Hollow. Hit the subscribe button to catch that episode. Thank you for listening to Full Contact Nerd Interviews. If you want more interviews with writers and creative people, or to get daily fiction suggestions including sci-fi, fantasy, horror, film history, gaming, and more, sign up for my newsletter at fullcontactnerd.com and follow me on Chris Alvarez Full Contact Nerd on YouTube and Chris Alvarez FCN on Facebook and Twitter, Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi on Instagram, and this podcast, Full Contact Nerd Interviews. If you want to hear interviews with military historians or get daily history book suggestions, check out warscholar.org and follow me at Warscholar on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, at Chris Alvarez Warscholar on Instagram, and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want to hear interviews with space scientists, space historians, and technology experts, or get daily space and science book suggestions, check out technologyinspace.com and follow me at Spacewalks Money Talks on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, Spacewalks MT on Twitter, and my podcast, Technology and Space. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you again soon. Keep imagining the past, the present, and the future.